All right, let's go to 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter one. We finished up through verse twenty-five last time, but we're going to pick up with verse twenty-six this time. And and we're in the middle of a section that I've just top, topicked or, or titled "God's Wisdom versus Worldly Wisdom." God's wisdom versus man's wisdom, as if Paul is making this a contest. And you remember from last time that I said clearly to you, there is no contest, right? God at his least is still ahead of man at his best. God when he's foolish, which God never is foolish, but God when he's foolish is still ahead of man at his wisest. And we used an illustration kind of like the Tower of Babel for our understanding of that last time. So tonight we're going to continue that and see as Paul admonishes the Corinthian church, consider your calling, consider your former position, and Remember what you have now in Christ Jesus. So let's read together. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yes, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We begin with the heading in verse 26 of consider your calling. And that's what Paul says here. He says, for you see your calling Brethren, and I, and I would note to you initially that Paul is still writing to this church, and he is still speaking in that same sentiment of brethren. You're my brothers in Christ. I'm, I'm writing to deal with this division that's happening in your church, and amongst other things, but you're, we're still brothers together in this thing. And he brings to mind here their state of living when they were called. You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. And we should read this as it is. He's, he's kind of insulting them here. He said, when you were called, you, there, not many of you were wise. Not many of you were mighty. Not many of you were noble when you were called into salvation. And the word called there is the same word we've been dealing with all throughout the chapter. It is this request, official request to be present and participating it's a summons from the almighty so he's talking about when they were called to salvation most of them were not wise by human standards they were not influential they were not of noble birth they were none of the things that the people of their society in their time would have celebrated now this is not to say that no one wise and no one mighty and no one noble is never called got my got my tenses wrong there um he doesn't say any he says not many in fact i was reading today that it used to be common in the colonial times for the nobles 
to say it's only by one small letter, the letter M, that I'm actually in, 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 the, in, the, in the faith. Because he doesn't say not any are called. It says not many are called. And these that were nobles could take this verse and be highly offended by it for sure. But if they took it in with verse 29, well, then they would understand the meaning of what he is saying here. The point of view is not how we are when God finds us. The point of view is how we act after he calls us unto himself. He doesn't intend for any flesh to be able to glory in his presence. It's for his glory alone. That's one of the five solas that we cling to so heartily since the Reformation. Glory to God alone. Soli Deo Gloria. Now remember why Paul is having to write and address these people like this. Look at verse 12. He says, Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. They've become divided. They've become divided based on this ranking of association with human wisdom. We see this happen in our country. Some would say, well, I'm for Trump, and some would say, well, I'm for Biden. And you, you know, you're, on, you're split down the aisle on that very thing. Well, that's fine in worldly wisdom. In fact, I'm a big fan of a two-party system myself when it comes to politics. But in the church, this should never be this way. And Paul's writing to this church and saying, what do you mean you're, you're of Apollos and you're of Cephas? And he said, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you except a few. And he lists this few here and says, because I just don't think this is right. We're glorifying man in God's presence. We shouldn't be doing this. So he writes then this reminder as he compares with them man's wisdom up against God's wisdom. And he says here, none of you were mighty. None of you were noble. None of you were wise when you were first called. So he's reminding them here. That as brothers in the faith, they have no basis from which to assert superiority over one another or to boast. I was talking with a couple of you just recently about this very thing. And, and I was making the point for an elder in the church. Um, it's, it is a position of authority in the church. But it is not a position of superiority in the church. We're all saved by grace. We're sinners saved by the grace of God. And with the position of authority of an elder in the church comes a position of great responsibility that's worthy of double honor when done well, but also worthy of extra judgment when done poorly. So that becomes the thing. But in the end, we're all still just sinners saved by grace. And given a position of any kind of authority in any kind of a group, you need to add with that a measure of humility. When I was a Young person, I was driving my pastor, Brother Willard Thomas, to preach at a big, big, big tent meeting. They would have every summer up in West Virginia. can't think of the name of the town. Maybe Beckley, West Virginia was where they were there. And I'll never forget showing up at this big, it was a big conference grounds. It put you in mind of like a fairgrounds and sort of had these public bathrooms out there that were known to fail. You get large crowds there and everybody using these bathrooms and their issues. And we showed up, we had driven all day, and we got to the hotel, he got in his suit, we got in the car, and we got back out there. And as we're getting out of the car, he's getting his suit coat on, you know, and my, he always had his poetry books, you know, he came here, some of you remember that. And, I'm, you know, we're getting his books out, and this guy comes up and he says, boy, I need you guys' help. And we think, well, okay. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, this is Brother Willard, he's about to go get on stage in five minutes. Like, we're kind of running late, they're waiting on him to come preach tonight. 
The guy said, the bathrooms are overflowing, and I need somebody to get, help me with mops. We've got to get this cleaned up. And in my mind, I'm thinking, like, you know, this is Brother Willard. You know, he, he ain't helping you. He's got other stuff to do. He's going to be on stage tonight. And I watched my preacher take his coat off and start rolling up his sleeves. And the guy laughed, and he said, nah, I'm just kidding. I wanted to see what y'all would say. No matter our position of authority, responsibility, wherever we get in life, it all has to be with a level of humility. We're, you remember the old saying, don't get above your raisin? Never get too big for your britches? Well, I've gotten there physically, but we don't need to get there mentally, right? <laughs> so a level of humility. And Paul is writing here about these folks becoming divided on the ranking of their association with human wisdom. They have no basis for this. They had no wisdom. They had no status. They have no power in and of themselves. But when God called them, he, he bestowed such things upon them simply through their belief in a simple gospel. Sadly, many of the Corinthians had forgotten that experience. They had appealed to human wisdom to exalt themselves and to divide from one another. So Paul urges them here, consider your calling. Remember where you came from. I would ask you tonight, church, do you remember? Do you remember sinner you? You're saint you now, right? We, we established that over here in the first few verses. We've been called to be saints. Some of us are better at it than others. We'll keep working on the rest of you. See what I did there? All this humility I got. I'm so proud of all this humility I have. But do you remember before you were saved? Some of you were adults at this point. You had kind of gotten into adult living of just worldliness, sinfulness. It definitely didn't look like sainthood. Maybe you were saved as a child and you say, well, I never got off into all of that. Yeah, but you were still kind of full of yourself. You're prideful. You're still rebellious against God. Do you remember how you were when God came to you, woke you up, made you spiritually alive, saved you, redeemed you from your sinful state? Paul says here, remember your calling. See your calling, brother. Not many wise men, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Wearsby states here, God called them not because of what they were, but in spite of what they were. Aren't you glad God called you in spite of yourself? Second, we see tonight, consider your former position. Verse 27, 28, and 29. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yes, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. Why? that no flesh should glory in his presence. So consider your calling, but also consider your former position. The worldly standard the Corinthian church was putting on their current estate was not how God had operated in establishing them as a church. God chose as his people those whom the world did not respect. But now they're parading around as if saying, well, I was baptized by Apollos. Well, I was baptized by Cephas. As if this was some sort of badge of honor and glorying underneath these men. This was, this was idolatry. It was not a good thing. It was causing great divisions in this church. Most Corinthian believers represented the foolish, the weak, the lowly, 
and things that count for nothing in the eyes of the world. And now they were adding in this worldly wisdom and trying to make this part of their standing. Though they were nothing and God had made them something, still nothing in the eyes of the world. They were trying to adopt this worldly wisdom to be something in their heavenly ranks. It's odd, the logic there, or the lack of. Now, I don't think Paul is trying to insult the Corinthians here. He's stating a fact and he's giving glory to God. He's not trying to say to them, you're all a bunch of fools when God saved you and you're good for nothing. You were all weak when God saved you, so you're still weak and you're good for nothing. That's not his point at all. He's already established very well, and we spent a lot of time in it a few weeks back, about them being called to be saints and, and, and really that high calling that they have. Let's review those verses real quick. Go back to verse 1. Some of you weren't here, and I don't want you to miss the point of this. Well, just start in 3. He says to the Corinthian church, No, nah, I'm sorry, we've got to go to 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. So it was, this is all part of God's will, right? Unto the church of God which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace be unto you. So you've received God's grace. You've been called to be saints. You are sanctified in Christ Jesus. You are brothers together. All of this according to the will of God. And from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything you're enriched by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who also will confirm you in the end. So in other words, saying not only has God done great things in you and through you, but he will he will continually enable you for all of the things that he has for you to do all along the way. So he's not saying here, you guys are just good for nothing and I'm sick of having to referee your fights. He's saying here, you guys have been made great for everything in Christ Jesus through the will of God. And there shouldn't be these fights hindering this which he's enabled you to do that is not refereeing these fights. So in verse 27... He does say this, but he's not insulting them. He's pointing out to them how frivolous they were living their Christian's life, their Christian lives. He's stating a fact, and he's given the glory to God. God planned to shame those whom the world considered wise and strong. Though the Corinthians appeared foolish and weak, they were not foolish for believing the gospel. Instead, the world was shown to be foolish and weak. This is what he is saying here. God chose the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. He's not writing to insult them. He's not writing to belittle them. He writes this to remind them that they had no basis for this boasting they were doing. When they first experienced the gospel in their lives... They didn't then feel superior to one another, and they weren't then divided. And we can remember back to that. Remember when you were first saved? You were just glad to be saved. But somewhere along the lines, you got just enough theology under your belt. Maybe you begin to feel a little superior there. Still, Paul writes to the Corinthians, you have no reason to boast. You have no reason to divide. You have no reason to quarrel. 
Paul reminded them of this so they would abandon those things that caused them to treat one another with such little respect. Look at verse 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Why? For it hath been declared unto you, unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. And then in verse 12, he tells what those contentions are. So verse 27, God has chosen the foolish things to confound the wise, the weak things to confound the mighty. Verse 28, the base things and the things which are despised, God has chosen to bring to naught the things that are. Why? Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. I like this verse, but I like its wording in Ephesians 2.9, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works. And then verse 9 says, lest any man should boast. Well, that's what Paul is saying here in verse 29. Worldly wisdom admires all the wrong things. Your birth, your social status, your financial success, the power you have in life, the recognition that you are given in your local community, Well, God's wisdom puts this to shame. The world doesn't understand how God turns sinners into saints. But church history is filled with stories over and over again of lives changed and homes restored. Even in what the world would call hopeless and helpless situations. God comes in and turns a sinner into a saint. Well, why does he do this? He certainly doesn't do it so that flesh could glory in his presence. He does it for his own glory. Salvation is holy of grace. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. So it can only be to the glory of God. The Corinthians were guilty of glorying in men. Flip over to chapter 3 here. Chapter 3, verse 21. Paul says to him there, Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. Glorying even... In godly men. They, they weren't, it wasn't like they were bringing in worldly men into the church and saying we should lift them up. They were glorying in Paul. They were glorying in Apollos who was a great helper in this same regard. But even glorying in these godly men was robbing God of the glory that he alone deserves. This was the sinful pride that was dividing their church. So remember your calling. Remember your former position, and then remember what you have now. Verse 30 and 31. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. This memory with proper association would dispel any remaining pride in the Corinthian church. Why did they believe the gospel? What led to their current estate? I'm going to ask those to you rhetorically, but I think it's important that we answer them. Do you, do you understand tonight why the Corinthians believed the gospel? I mean, he has laid it out here and said why they believed the gospel. It wasn't because they were smart enough to understand it. What's that? Somebody said it. Yeah. 
It's that word calling we keep seeing come up. I don't remember how many times it's in this first chapter. I said it on the first night in the first few verses, but I think it was like five, seven, eight times, something like that. All in this first chapter, we get this calling over and over and over again. This is that effectual call. This is God's irresistible grace. And it's because of that that they understood the gospel. What led them to their current estate? Well, it was Jesus' death on the cross. It was the good news that there is now forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ our Lord who loved us and gave himself for us. We don't live the blessed lives that we live just because there's something special about us. Well, that's a highly problematic cultural point of view being attached to gospel preaching all across the world for many years now. You know the the term, and it's kind of using a negative connotation politically these days, but snowflake, I know about snowflakes. Well, there's, there's some wisdom there. What is unique about a snowflake? L- not politically. Please be careful what you say here. There's no, no single snowflake alike, which is pretty neat in God's creation that he, he makes. You, do you like to watch snow? I don't like to watch snow when I need to get somewhere, but... When I'm home and I'm warm and I've got a cup of coffee and I can look out the window and see these flakes fall. That's beautiful. It's wonderful to see. Well, surely we all understand in that same regard. What do we know about DNA? Will you answer that again? It's all different. (laughs) So we're all uniquely made. And then I would go a further step there and talk to you about that in regards to your purposes as revealed in Scripture, that we are all uniquely called. That God has something for us all to do. And no two people's ministry is exactly the same. I know a lot of other preachers, but we all preach differently. We, we sort of preach passionately about different doctrines. It's funny how preachers are wired like that. But if we're not careful, we get into this idea that what led us to our current estate spiritually is because of our specialness. What did our specialness get us in the Garden of Eden? Death. I don't know what somebody said there. I heard two or three words altogether. But I believe you all answered correctly, didn't you? Death. That's what it got us. The serpent came along and played right into our specialness. As God really said. Absolutely. What led to their current state here? The Corinthians are later going to be rebuked by Paul. He's going to say, you can speak with the tongues of men and angels, but you don't have love. If we're not careful, we allow this mentality, which is, which is a biblical thing, but it's been exploited in our culture. You can do whatever you want to do. I remember as a little boy in school, I thought the, one of the greatest things, we'd stand in line every day in, in the lunch line, and I was an S, and you had to line up alphabetically, so S's were at the end. I never thought that was fair. I was hungrier than those ABC girls at the front who didn't even ever eat their lunches because they fed them to me. They should have just let me go to the front of the line. But we'd stand there in the hall outside the lunchroom, and you could smell it. Man, I was always so hungry. But there was all these posters down through there. Y'all seen the one that's a cat? He's got one, one claw hanging on there. And the, underneath it, do you know what it says? Hang in there. 
And then there was one, it was this rocket ship. And there was a NASA astronaut with a helmet under his, I think it was a girl. I'm a millennial, believe it or not. Did y'all know I was a millennial? By one year, I think they messed up when they set those years there. The millennials don't claim me. But there was a girl astronaut with a helmet under her arm there. She's walking out to the spaceship. And you see this huge NASA spaceship there. And, you know, the cat one said, hang in there. And the, the NASA one said, you can be anything. Well, there was a problem with me wanting to be anything because in my world, I wanted to be fast and be able to jump high. God didn't build me for speed or high jumps. He built me like a, like a tank. And my football coach loved that. He taught me how to stay low and plow. But I didn't like that. I wanted to catch the ball and score the touchdowns and kiss the cheerleaders at the end. Never got to do any of that. That has infected the church. We can't do anything, but we can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength to do it. What led to their current estate? Christ. It wasn't because they were wise. It wasn't because they were powerful enough to be saved. It was because of God that they were in Christ Jesus. God himself is the ultimate force behind the salvation of those who believe. Although salvation is by grace through faith, even as faith itself is a gift from God, we're, we're quoting from Ephesians 2 again there, no credit belongs to the humans who have come to Christ. All credit belongs to God. Without that summons, we would have never even known to show up. Paul writes of believers being in Christ, joined to him in baptism and become members of his body. Surely this is all we need. He says here, he is our wisdom. Verse 30 is where I am. But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. I think he's our wisdom based off verse 24. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So he's our wisdom in that he is that which is manifested that is the power that we need to be made alive in God. R.C. Sproul lays out the other three descriptors from verse 30 there very well. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Not only is he our wisdom, but Sproul says he is our righteousness by which we are justified. He is our sanctification, the one by whose grace we are set apart and progressively renewed. He is our redemption the one by whose death and resurrection ensures that we, soul and body, will be fully redeemed from sin's guilt and its penalty, which is death. He is all of these things for us. So no flesh should glory in his presence. Only by him that we are in Christ Jesus, who is Christ Jesus, who is wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. We want some homework reading on verse 30, Romans 6 and Romans 8 lay this all out very well. You could throw 7 in there too if you'd like to. I had hoped to flip through those with you tonight, but I have been warned by the keeper of the nursery that I've been taking too long on Wednesday nights and that should I do that tonight, I could expect to maybe die in my sleep or something. I don't know. But I have been warned. So it's getting close, so I'm, I'm coming to an end here. So verse 31 then presents this question. 
Well, I'm going to give you the question based off verse 31. Why do the Corinthians think they needed to compete with one another and allow this to divide them? Look at verse 31. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. But that's not what they were doing. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I don't know what this is like in your life, but I'll give you some illustrations of this in my life. It's pretty common when you get around other preachers that you don't know before. Is, oh, you're a pastor too? Yep, I'm a pastor. Where'd you go to school? Very important. Now, I do that too because I just like to know. And if they went to school where I went to school, we can make fun of the professors together, right? I don't know that I'm sizing them up. Maybe I am. They went to one of those awful liberal Bible schools. Then I know just, just don't even try to talk doctrine with them there. Not really. Then it turns into how big is your church? When I was a kid, I remember my dad hanging out with preachers. And even as a little boy, I remember the talks were kind of like, how big was your offering yesterday? But it's not that now. The, the preacher talk on that is now, it's how big is your church? What size is your budget? That's the talk, you know. These guys with these million-dollar budgets, you know, they're, they're, they're better than the rest of us lowly guys who don't have these million-dollar budgets. Y'all should feel bad for me and give more money. See what I did there? <laughs> what is that like in your life? I'm sure there's other things. This is what was happening in the Corinthian church. Oh, well, <laughs> that's just so-and-so. They, Cephas baptized him. He's not like us. We were baptized by Paul. Now, now get what, what's really being said there in Corinth. Who started the church? Paul. So if Paul baptized you, what does that mean? Well, we've been here since day one. As if all of a sudden that gives us a little more say-so. Is that how it works in God's economy? No, nope, Jesus busted that up with the parable of the laborers. Remember that parable? Some of them started the first hour of the day, and they were going to get paid a day's wages to work all day long. And then every hour of the day, they hired more people. And how much did everybody get paid, even up to those who worked the last hour? The day's wages. Well, that's just not fair. Not fair in your, your mind, but according to God's economy, that's how it works. Why should we be divided? I heard a great, great mountain preacher, Brother Earl Hughes. You should Google Earl Hughes sometimes and watch some videos. It's a lot of fun. I heard him preach the parable of the workers one time. And I wondered at the end how he was going to make God's economy seem fair to humans. Because it just doesn't seem fair, does it? And he got to the end and he, he did that number. And he grinned real big. And he said, you know, that, that laborer who came in the last hour of the day, he probably wasn't arguing about what he was paid or not paid. He was just happy to be in line. I thought, amen. That's the way to be, isn't it? And in the end, won't you just be happy to be in line? Hmm. Worldly wisdom divides. God's wisdom unites and transforms. We've been called from darkness to light. So let's walk in the light. We study this book of Corinthians. We're going to see mistakes that this church is making. Things that created problems in their church. They were not living up to their holy calling, but instead they were following the standards of the world in which they lived. They ignored the fact that they were called into wonderful spiritual fellowship with the Lord and with each other. 
They were identifying with human leaders and creating divisions in the church. They were pleasing themselves and boasting about men. They were a defiled church, a divided church, and a disgraced church, Warren Wiersbe says. So let us examine our own church and our own lives and learn from their example. We've been called to be holy. We've been called into fellowship. We've been called to glorify God. But are we living up to that calling? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for time together to study your word. Help Harpeth Baptist Church to learn from the Corinthian church that we might be what you intended the New Testament church to be in this area, in this time in your history. Lord, help us not to try to seek worldly wisdom and apply it to God's system, but to just be dependent upon God's wisdom given through God's word and through his spirit. Even at times when it seems so counter to the culture around us, help us to strive just to do your will. Thank you for your word as our God. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, one minute early according to my clock. Jimmy's clock in the back has got it wrong.